Inter Miami suffered another blowout loss in a season filled with them this past weekend, raising questions once again about the direction of the team under head coach Phil Neville. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Wait for it. Miami Total Football Radio. Hey, that was another good one. I'm happy and I'm proud of myself for that one. My name is Franco Penizo. I am half or one third of this co-hosting team of Miami Total Football Radio, the number one podcast on all things inter-Miami. Joining me today once again is the fabulous tandem of Jose Armando and Steve Brenner, also known as El Primo and PS5 Jose, which by the way, people are really catching on to that PS5 Jose name. I saw someone bring that up not too long ago in a completely separate chat. How are you guys doing today? Start with you, Steve. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, mate. I uh, hope everyone is is well. And um, yeah, I think we're just going to get have to get used to the fact that maybe the playoffs aren't going to happen this year like we spoke about last week. And we can look forward to a brighter future, hopefully. But we'll have to wait and see. Jose, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? The sun is setting. It looks nice and lovely here in South Florida. But how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. And and yes, it's, it's a very nice day out there. Um, yeah, and I think we're all on the same line, right? Um, I mean, just disappointed and already thinking about next year. I know um, coaching staff is not ready, not, not there yet. But I think the rest of the world is ready to move on from 2021. So... It is what it is, guys. Yes, you mean as far as Inter-Miami is concerned. Now, this is going to be a pretty packed and I think juicy episode where I think all three of us, just judging off of our viewpoints and how we see the game in our discussions earlier in the year, I think we're going to have quite a bit of disagreement and discussion on this one because, Steve, we were both at practice on Monday of this week and after practice, you and I, and after the press conferences, you and I spoke about how we needed to talk about Phil Neville and the job he's doing with his coaching staff because another blowout defeat, six games unbeaten, I thought it merited that conversation again. And I just set out a, sent out a standard Q&A tweet saying, drop us any questions. The majority of the questions we got, and we got a lot of them, I think this might be the most we've gotten all season, or if not in for a, for a long time, a lot of the questions were directed and we're asking about Phil Neville and the job he's doing and whether he deserves to return, etc., etc. So we're going to touch on that. We're going to touch on this past weekend's 4-0 loss to the Columbus Crew. And we will preview, of course, the upcoming game on Wednesday night back at home at Drive Pink Stadium for Inter-Miami against Toronto FC. We'll also tackle that Q&A session at the end of the podcast, and it's a lengthy one, so I hope you guys have your hard hats ready, and that's not meant to be pun intended for the Columbus crew, although they just, you know, Inter-Miami just played them, but I do think that there will be maybe some heated discussions here, maybe some voices that get raised at, at certain points, but we'll see how it goes. So, guys, let's get to it. Okay, guys, so as we know, Inter-Miami suffered another blowout this past weekend. Away to the Columbus Crew, a 4-0 loss away from home. Inter-Miami came out with this starting lineup. It was the 5-3-2, although the graphics showed a 5-2-3. It was more like a 5-3-2. And it was Nick Marsman in goal, Lewis Morgan as the right wing back. Your center back trio from right to left were Leandro Gonzalez-Pires, Kelvin Leardam, 
Christian McCoon, and your left wing back was Sammy Gadiri. Your midfield trio was Gregory as the six and Blaise Matuidi and Indiana Vasilev, which was the surprise or who was the surprise starter, as joint number eights, just a little bit adva- uh, uh, more advanced than Gregory. Up top, you had Gonzalo Higuain and Robbie Robinson. Now, there's a lot to touch on from this game, including Robbie Robinson's horrendous gaff and error. We'll touch on that, but first, I think we need to start with an analysis of the job that Phil Neville has done. Now, I'm not saying about this game in specific, but I'm saying just overall, because after another defeat by such a lopsided margin, and there you have now, again, tied the franchise record for consecutive losses with six, I think we need to analyze not only Phil Neville, but also the team. But I think Phil, you know, Phil Neville is the one that's the most responsible for the direction of the team and how the team performs on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. So let's start there, because... Clearly, there's a lot of people out there that don't think he's doing a good enough job. Others think that the roster has really handicapped him or handcuffed him. Steve, I'll start with you because anyone who has listened to this podcast for a prolonged period knows that you are a staunch defender and a devout defender of Phil Neville and the job he's doing. What do you think about his overall showing as the head coach this season and especially as of late? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a staunch defender of him. I'm not defending him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't want to be defended. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying, looking at the picture from, from how I see it. The fact that he inherited not a great squad to start with, which is true. Um, they've now been hamstrung with this potential thing with the transfers moving forward, which obviously doesn't help. But yes... As an MLS coach, you're, the emphasis is more on coaching than really dealing in the, in the transfer market. And, yeah, it, it hasn't been good enough. And, um, you know, I think he's pretty honest. Phil Neville, when he speaks to us, I think he'd admit that everyone needs to have done better. But, you know, it gets to a point where you just keep chopping and changing the whole time or stick with it for another season and have the preseason to build on. Remember, they didn't play a lot against preseason. We were going on about that a lot. Um, and, you know, that's, I guess that has also contributed to, you know, a poor display over, you know, a, a poor season. Missing out on the playoffs is not acceptable, not for David Beckham, not for Phil Neville, not for any of the players. Um, but do I want to see him come back and give it another go? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? I mean, you bring it, you, you sack him now, you bring someone else in, you, you're back at square one again. You just go around in circles, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I just think give over the full preseason behind him and potentially what they can do in the transfer market where there's a few developments which we'll talk about later on, you know, I think it's, it's worth another chance. It's a completely alien league, MLS, and he came into it completely fresh and he would have learned a hell of a lot. So I, I, I don't want to see a change at all, no. Jose, I have plenty to, to dissect there from Steve, but Jose, what do you think? What have you thought about the job Phil Neville has done this season, his first season with Inter Miami, his first season in MLS, his first season coaching uh, men's side at the club level. What have you thought about the job he's done overall and especially, again, as of late with this six-game losing streak in which they've been outscored, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, by a 16-1 to margin? Well, um, listen, I think that if there's one thing that we can give credit um, to to Phil for what, what he has been able to do with Inter-Miami, we have to go back to that stretch in which he was able to put out there um, a good effort defensively. And and that's about it. 
I mean, we, we, we can go no, no further than that because um, I, I haven't seen a development of any of the, of the players. Um, I think Blaze and, um, and Rodo Pizarro both uh, um, haven't been able to perform at the level that they should have. And I think that's an, an unfair because those are two, well, at least Blaze used to be a top player and, and Pizarro, you know, he should be better than than what he's showing right now and then what he showed this year. Um, this was his second year in the league as well, so he should be a little bit more comfortable. And um, I think he should have taken more out of those two players, and, and I, I, I think that's on him. Um, so there are so many things that make you think, you know, if he's the right coach for this team. Um, I think at the moment it's on him. Um, does he really believe that he can you know, have an impact in this club uh, moving forward because we all know uh, the team is going to have limitations in the next two years. So changing the coach doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win more games right now. If you don't get a better team next year, you know, you might end up in the same place that you are right now. So why change the coach? Why put yourself in trouble? Um, uh, bringing up expectations that you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to meet just because you don't have the players. So um, there are good things for me this year from Phil, um, and and it's all about you know that that stretch in the season where where the team was able to be good defensively. But remember, even even between those games, we were worried that the team was not performing offensively the way we wanted. And I think in one post podcast, uh, um, Franco, we, we touched on this, you know, that at some point they, 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 they would have to change something offensively because they, they would need to win games. They would need to score. And I think we have been at that point for a while now, but especially in the last two to three games, we are there where this team needs to score goals and they just can't do it. And I think that's on, that's on field. So, you know, that, that's, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag for me, but I think overall, um, it, it's on him, it's on him. And, and if he really believes that he can have an impact in this club, then maybe he should stay. Um, of course, you know, first five to 10 games of next year and things are worse than what they are right now. Then, then you think about, changing things. Jose, would you bring him back? If you were Chris Henderson, would you bring him back for 2023? Or excuse me, 2022? As of right now, yes. As of right now, yes. Just because, and again, I will say this, because you don't know exactly, and at least we don't know exactly what's the plan for next year. Chris Henderson said he had a, he has a plan already. Um, if that plan is ambitious and, and it's about winning championships, or if it's about developing players, you know, those are two different conversations. We don't know what that plan is. But for me right now, I bring him back just because I don't believe that Inter Miami will have a competitive squad next year. Steve, you just dropped some news yourself as we speak, as we're recording this, with regards to maybe somewhat of the, what those plans are. And that has to do with Gonzalo Higuain. Can you share with us what you have just reported for the Sun? Yes, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm told um, that, you know, Gonzalo Higuain certainly thinking about retiring at the end of the season. Um, got one year left on his contract, uh, but the feeling is he's certainly been considering it. Things change, you never know, but that, I mean, that would be good, I think, for all parties if they can 
come to some sort of agreement. You know, if he was just to walk away, I think that's another thing. You know, Blaise Betweedy's another one. You know, he's... He hasn't had a great time here, so there's, you know it's possible if if Iguain ret- retires, then maybe they could potentially buy out Blaise Betweedy's contract. Uh, Carranza's another one that they're trying to get rid of. Uh, Gonzalez Perez as well. So that's optimistic. I think I mean it'd be a good thing if potentially you could get all four of those guys off the off the wage bill. Um, that would really really help them. But if if Iguain's going to retire, I think that would you know solve quite a lot of problems for them. That is big news, and we can touch on that maybe later on the pod because I want to stay on the topic of Phil Neville. Steve, you said you would bring him back, right? You you don't think that you would make a change or you wouldn't want to see a change. What have you seen from Phil Neville this season that gives you encouragement, that gives you belief that if he returned in 2022 with the issues that they're going to have or with the sanctions they're going to have, what leads you to believe that he can get the job done with a team that's even it's going to be less talented or have less quality or it's going to be handcuffed in a sense because they won't be able to spend as much money as they spent this year into the roster? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all about experience, isn't it? He's he's done a year in, in MLS now. He's seen what has worked. He's seen what hasn't worked. You know, you talk about between him. Between his legs are gone. He's not the, not, not the player that he was. Um, you know, so he's been hamstrung in, in 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 ways where you know players just haven't performed. Yeah, it is his job to try and get the best out of them, but he's also getting trying to get the best out of players that he didn't probably want in there in the first place. So it's you know it's just a mess from start to finish, really, from the whole thing onwards. If you rush into getting a man or struggle to get a manager like I did with Diego Alonso, and then sack him, then you're always going to be back to square one. You're just on a revolving cycle. But I think you know he would have learned things during. the the, the, the good spells that they've had, but they have been consistent enough, and that's on him. That's on the players. That's on that's on everyone. You know, yeah, the buck stops with him, but other people also haven't been been performing. So you know, uh, sometimes one one or two players could drag the team team through. But you know, Iguain or Pizarro or any of those guys have not done it on a on a consistent basis. I looked at Carranza's stats; he scored two goals in thirty seven appearances, only ten starts, but two goals in thirty seven appearances of someone that's spending nine hundred thousand dollars a year on is not is not good enough. So mistakes have been made throughout the whole club, but I, I just think you're going back to square one again if you if you get rid of someone. And I think it, yeah, I think it, I know for a fact that he's gonna that he's enjoyed himself so far, and that he will be back next next season one hundred percent. Look, you you say you don't want to go back to square one again. If there's a time to go back to square one, it's now. It's now. Before you go into the into an offseason where you're going to have to get rid of veteran players, where you're going to have to bring in younger players, where you're going to have to be very smart about the way you maneuver your roster, it's now. It's not two seasons from now or a season from now when you've already gone into another process, another season of bringing in certain players, which if Phil Neville stays on, they're going to fit his mold and his and his vision for how the team works if you're going to change it it's sh- it better to do it now than in a season in a half a season in two seasons and i don't think personally just me me here just franco panizo here put my name to it i don't think i've seen enough from phil neville and the team itself in 2021 to say he warrants coming back i think if he were in almost any other league in the world on a team that's as ambitious as Inter Miami, I think he would have been let go by now. Phil Neville, to me, on this team, because of his relationship with David Beckham, he has as many lives as a cat. I will call him Nine Lives Neville because 
he's not going to be let go. I agree with you. He'll be here next season. And he'll be here this offseason. He'll, he'll help shape the roster and mold it to his vision. But I don't think he deserves it based on what we've seen from Inter-Miami in 2021. Very few players have stepped up and progressed, showed development. A lot of players have regressed. Lewis Morgan has been a shell of the player that we've seen. There's many reasons for that. Almost nobody on this team has shown progress. I would say Christian McCoon has shown some progress there at the back. I would say Robbie Robinson showed flashes early to midway through the season of progress, but nobody else really on this team has shown a lot of progress, and that is on Phil Neville. It's also on Phil Neville that this team cannot score in general. They have Gonzalo Higuain, they have Rodolfo Pizarro, they have Blaise Matuidi, and they can't and they can't score goals. They they should be able to do more than what they're doing now. This is my question to you, Steve. We'll, we'll, I'll stick with you, and then I'll ask Jose too, really quickly. Is this team, is this roster, more talented in 2021 than it was in 2020? Yes or no? Uh, I mean, yeah. Yes. Okay. I guess so. I guess so. I mean, it's a very marginal call. I mean, barely. I mean, what's Jose, the difference? Jose, is this team more talented in 2021 than it was in 2020? Yes, yes. It is more talented. And, and let me tell you, uh, I believed last year that, you know, it was a mistake to, to let Diego Alonso go. I don't know what happened with him and, the, and, and everybody else in, in the club. But, you know, I, I thought that it was a mistake to start over. Um, a similar thing that, that we're talking about right now with Phil, you know, just having the, the players or having the roster in a tough spot with maybe players that you don't want or players that are not um, good in, good for your system or the system that you want to play in. That's a similar situation that happened with Diego Alonso because um, he came into the club and, and, you know, they had already signed quite a few players. So it's the same situation. So I happen to agree here with Steve that, you know, it deserves another shot. Um, and remember, it's gonna be—it's not gonna be one more year for Inter Miami to to have a, a good team. It's it's gonna be two years. It's gonna be two years, and so you can give him one more year, you know. And, and I don't think not a lot is gonna change, but you just give him give him an opportunity to get that continuity and see if he's able to build a culture. Remember, also um, when Phil got here, he was talking about a culture. Um, David Beckham was talking about a culture this year. Um, I don't know if they have accomplished that so far. So maybe one more year we'll do it. Inter-Miami in 2020 was less talented than it was in 2021. That's my firm belief. That is my opinion. They, this year, signed players like Gregory. They signed players like Nick Marsman, Kieran Gibbs. This team is better than it was last year on paper. It's more... You it's more ta- you're talking about a goalkeeper, a right-back, and a defensive midfielder, and you're just you're going off on one saying, oh, they're such, they're, they're such a better team now. I mean, it's... I misspoke. It's, it's not marginal, a better team. Man. It's a better roster. It's a more talented roster. Because, look, they also have Gonzalo Higuain and Blaise Matuidi, two DPs out of the three from the start of the season, whereas last year they only had Rodolfo Pizarro from the start. Matuidi and Higuain did not arrive till mid-season. You can say whatever you want about their levels now and where they are at this point in their careers, but Inter-Miami in 2020 was playing without two DPs for half of the season. They were less talented in 2020 than they were than they are, excuse me, in 2021. And yet they're worse in the standings right now than they were a year ago. Last year they finished in 10th place. They made the playoffs, but let's take I mean, that out because there's an expanded playoff field. They finished in 10th place with that roster. This year, right now, with still five games to go, that will be noted, they are in 11th place and the worst scoring well. team in the last league. Year. Well, let's, let's be right. They I were mean, not. They were not. But they're they worse won't. this year. They're worse this year. Last year they were not getting 
blown out of games like this. Last year, they were not suffering 4-0 defeats, 5-0 defeats. They weren't losing 5-1 at home. This is a bad team. Yes, it's not all on Phil Neville. There's issues with the roster. There's players that are probably not playing up to their level just because they're just not motivated enough. But his job is to get the most out of as many players as possible. And he has not done that. And the proof is in the pudding. Not only with the goal stats. Look at the set pieces. They've scored one goal off of a set piece. They've scored zero goals off of corner kicks. I don't care if you have the least talented team in the league. That is just unacceptable. That is unacceptable. And this is another example that I have of why I don't think Phil Neville is the right guy. I think he is, look, he's a great public speaker. He's great for us in press conferences, offers a lot of insight into the team. And that also trickles down into fans. And there's a lot of insight that he provides us. I think he's a great speaker. I think he knows a lot about soccer. I just do not think he is the right coach for this team going forward. And another reason so who is for that? who is that? Who is that's who is? that's that's Chris Henderson's job to look at M- look at MLS, look at the pool worldwide worldwide pool of candidates and determine that because he didn't hire Phil Neville. Phil Neville was brought on simultaneously with Chris Henderson. This is a handpicked decision from you could say David Beckham and Jorge Mas, but it's probably David Beckham, right? Because I don't think Jorge Mas, if you gave him a blank canvas to name a head coach, he's going to come up with the uh, solution or the answer of Phil Neville. But look, just just to just to round out the idea one issue that i have with phil neville is that he is a young coach he's he acknowledged it last week in the press conference when he started talking about how maybe he expressed himself incorrectly when he said that inter miami was cheated after one of their most recent losses and and there was a lot of a lot of back and forth between him and the referees the referee organization pro came out in a story with the miami herald and expressed their their very big frustration and dismay with what Phil Neville said. They thought that he should be punished even more severely than he was. And he afterwards raised his hand and said, look, I, you know, as a young coach, I did not handle that in the best way. I used a word that I should not have used. So he is learning. He's learning just like a young player like Robbie Robinson is learning. And with learning comes growing pains and mistakes and issues. And and that is fine, but not on a team like Inter Miami, which this season, this season, let's go back to February, this season, Jorge Mas told us on the record, he wanted Inter Miami, he was aiming for Inter Miami to be a team that finished in the top three in the Eastern Conference. And they're nowhere close to that. They're not even close to, they're not even going to make the playoffs. They are in 11th place. They're in 11th place. And and let me, let me just add this, Jose, before, I know you want, I know you want to, you have something to say. Look at the last few games. Look at this stretch of six games. He has stuck with the five-man defense over and over and over again, despite not having personnel available to play it. Kelvin Leardam is not a center back. Has he played center back at times for club and country? Sure, but he's not a center back. And you see it on a consistent basis that goals happen because of him, because he do, he he gets beat to the ball or defensively he's not good enough. And you can point the finger and say, it's on Kelvin Leardam for not being a good enough defender. But he's not a center back. So you're playing players out of position now to force a system that you prefer, and it's not working. And it's not working on a consistent basis, yet you continue to trot out the same exact team, and you get the exact same results with no goals up front, and then you give up goals at the back. So that's just one example. Robbie Robinson's another one. He's put him up top. He's exposed him to bad performances, to bad moments, and then criticism from us on the outside as well as fans. He's he's forcing things as I think he's doing it as a young head coach who 
doesn't necessarily maybe have the awareness to say, all right, this isn't working, let's change it up. He sticks with the same thing, and the results continue to be poor. They continue to not reflect well on Inter-Miami, and they've practically finished off the season. But, Jose, I know you had something to say there. Franco, I think your expectations about Inter-Miami are way too high. They, yeah. they, I mean, but they're listen. not my expectation. These are Jorge Mas's expectation. This is what Jorge Mas yeah. said to us on the record. It's not. But, it's not what. It's not what I've just magically said. All right, Inter Miami needs to be an MLS Cup c- contender. This is what the ownership is looking for. This is what the this is the bar that they have set for this team who wants to be a sexy team, an ambitious team, one of the biggest in this hemisphere. Chris Henderson this season on the CBS4 broadcast said. When Inter Miami was on its good run of form, and they had gotten to that one point where they were they like moved up to fifth for a day or two, uh, until all the results went did not you know did not go their way, and then they fell back to eighth or ninth. He said then he wanted Inter Miami to finish in the top four. So this team is constantly ambitious, and that's the bar that I measure them against. So that's what I put them up against. I'm not creating this this narrative of them that they want to be a top contender. That's something that they say to us, and they've said to us for these last two plus years. Yeah, but they're saying it because, and especially Jorge, because he thinks that's what people want to hear. But we all know the reality of the team. If you go and ask Jorge right now if he believes the team is going to make it to the playoffs, he'll probably tell you, well, yeah, and once we get in the playoffs, I think we're going to win two or three games, and then we'll see what happens, and we might have a chance at a championship. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. If somebody else comes and asks him about um, Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi, he'll probably not going to say no. Listen, guys, next two years, there's no way in the world. He's going to probably tell you, well, in three years, we'll see. We have a plan. You know, that's what we have heard from Jorge Mas from the get-go. So I think we, we should understand right now how, and we should know how to, how, to, how to really listen to what he's saying. Right. The expectations of this club right now should be very low because this is this is a mess of a team right now. Look at look at what the team in USL League One is doing out of the playoffs as well. So, you know, things right now, the expectations should be very low about this team and moving forward even more. And that's that's, that's just a reality. So I, I, I get it. I get it that when you hear something from the owner you know, it's it, it's a word that you can rely on. But in this case, I think we have to learn how to read Jorge Mas in the way he likes to talk about his team. He likes to believe that his team is one step away from becoming one of the top clubs in the world. That's what he likes to believe, and that's what he wants everybody else to believe. But if you know the game, you understand where Inter Miami is at right now. We can understand where they are. That does not mean that that's where they want the team to be. That's not what their goals were. That's not what they expect it to be. This is David Beckham's team as well, right? And David Beckham is synonymous with success and winning. I don't think David Beckham will ever say in an interview, and he, I don't think he has ever said, well, yeah, we can finish 8th, ninth, and that's okay. This is not acceptable for a team that has the highest paid squad in MLS. The biggest salary that's spent on players is here in South Florida and the team is well below expectations well below and you could say they should be middle of the table etc etc they came out with the expectations publicly that they wanted to do what Atlanta United and LAFC did which was come out of the gates hot now they've made a lot of missteps and that's not on Phil Neville but this season with what I've seen on the on the field 
I don't think he should be back. I do think he will be back. I don't see him going anywhere. I know a lot of fans have asked questions. Will he be back? Yes, like like Steve said, I fully believe that Phil Neville will get another chance. Everything he has said publicly makes me lead to believe that he's fully convinced he'll be back. The fact that his son, Harvey Neville, and David Beckham's son, Romeo Beckham, play on the USL team together... Feel like that that that's you know their their families are very entrenched here in South Florida and there's a longer term plan so I do think Phil Neville will be here for the next season even if he does not deserve it. Steve, did you have anything you wanted to add there with regards to anything I said or anything that Jose said? I I, I think you you talk as if you think that they think that it's been a success. I, I don't think they think that at all. I think they know that it hasn't been good enough whatsoever but they're just trying to sort of build something i think you know if we're sat here this time next year and it's, the season's been a complete disaster then of course those questions have to be asked but i think there's there is something for and it's irrespective of whatever man remember when diego alonso uh went none of it we all said or we both said he's got you know he deserves another chance he deserves at least another season to, to, to have a go and he didn't now they're doing that with with phil neville not diego alonso but you know, it's just about building. You've got to try and build something. There's too many clubs sack managers week after week after week, and they just just go around in circles. It's just it's frustrating. I don't think they think it's good enough. 100% they don't. And I'm sure David Beckham and Phil Neville are big boys. If it gets to the point in the, in the next season where it just hasn't worked, then, yeah, I mean, you know, they can take it on the chin. It's fine. But I think they need a chance to at least give it a couple of years and see what they can, what they can do with it. If it doesn't work, then you make a change. But, you know not make the change straight away because I just think it just I think there's I think think there's a built-in excuse already for next year because they're going to have to rely on younger players they're going to have less ability to spend on the roster so I think if it doesn't yeah yeah no there is that but you know I I just they have to deal with that that's just life isn't it you know sometimes things happen that you don't you know it's just tough that's what that's what happened again it's not their fault but that's the situation but again having gone through all that if they then look at it even if even if they do have to get new players in and they have to get rid of what they've got, I don't think losing Iguain, Matuidi, or Bazaar will make, make them any weaker anyway. Then you get three other players potentially in. Right, that's the um, way they could balance out the fact that they're going to lose TAM money, right, or allocation money. That if they can nail, if they can get rid of these three DPs and nail the next three, next three, then that can offset. Uh, the amount of, of talent or the quality that they'll lose with the allocation money. So those decisions will, that falls on Chris Henderson and those will be very big decisions that will either help make or break the next season or two. hundred percent. Yeah. That, that, that's it. But I mean, that's, you know, they, they, they know that now they've been working, they're working on it now, aren't they? He had said it yesterday. They've been working on it. He's a planner. He loves planning. They've already been working on this ever since we found out what was happening with Matweedy back, you know, two or three, three months ago, four months ago now. They've been planning. So it's that's their job. <laughs> so they have to they plan. They know potentially what's going to happen with, with players. And yeah, maybe there's a question mark of Eagle in if he's going to carry on. And then Matweedy, maybe they can pay him off. They can sell Pizarro. And then they're, they're kind of, okay, right, now we've saved all that money. Now let's see what we can do with it. It's still an attractive club. Players are still going to want to come here. Um, yeah, they just have to have to reboot it. But then the pressure's on. They know how to deliver next season. It's fair enough. You know? They should have delivered this season. They should have done better than they've been doing. Have done, but he, he was in, he was he was inheriting a squad that wasn't his own, and they had played for three preseason games. Two preseason. I mean, we did predict that it was gonna that was also gonna be an issue. I'm not making excuses. Listen, but a coach's job is to coach the players issue, he has. A coach's job is to coach the players he has. That they, I know, you know, no, you, can, you can you could have preparation preferences. Wasn't great, you could have prep. Preparation wasn't great. 
we t- we talked about that at the beginning of the season, Steve. And Jose wasn't part of this conversation. He wasn't on the pod yet. But he we, said, t- we yeah, talked could, about that should it, not be a talking point for the rest of the season. And I, can, we, I, I can't we, believe you're bringing this up at the end of the season that not, the I'm way that saying, they didn't I'm prepare sure. in preseason – is why that there is, is a big reason uh-huh. why. Is no, I'm not saying why. that. All I'm saying was is that at the time, I'm sure that we talked about it and we said it's going to be an issue. It's a contributing factor to everything else. I'm not saying it's it's that, that that's the reason. There are other reasons, yes, but it's another contributing factor. I'm just, it's, it's a fact. That's a minor a contributing fact. factor. Minor contributing what, factor. The fact that they didn't play the preseason games. Yes, that's a minor contributing factor because they've had, I mean, they've had, 30, guess, they've had nearly 30 games now into the season, so... True. Very, very true. Okay. I'm just saying it all, it all adds up. It all adds up. Okay, well, let's switch gears then quickly to this weekend's game. Obviously, a big talking point, unfortunately, for Inter-Miami and unfortunately for Robbie Robinson was his error, his mistake, his blunder. Can't call it a miss because he didn't even get the shot off. Now, in the 29th minute, he's breaking it on goal, a clear one-on-one opportunity, a golden look against crew goalkeeper Eloy Room after Robinson pounces on a mistake at the back and when he closes in towards the 18 yard box he bundles over the ball not sure if he was trying to cut on his right foot or or what happened there but he doesn't get the shot off Inter Miami loses possession it loses a chance to take the lead the game was 0-0 at that point 10 minutes later Columbus scores the first goal five minutes after that right before halftime they score a second so it's a 2-0 hole against Inter-Miami, as opposed to a 1-0 lead for the team had Robbie Robinson put that chance away. After the game, Phil Neville said that when Robbie had that play or when, when that play wasn't taken advantage of or capitalized on, that the team just kind of lost all its all the wind in its sails and it kind of lost all belief. I believe those that, that part, last part was were his words. Is this the worst error of the season, the worst blunder of the season. Jose, we'll start with you. Um, you're talking about Robbie? Yes. Or the team overall? The the, the, the error, the gaff. Well, listen, this is going to happen. I mean, this is this is going to happen. I, I, I think it, it worked out perfectly as an excuse for Phil. But let me tell you, you can mention this if you end up losing 1-0. But if you don't have a good defensive performance during the full 90 minutes and they score four on you and you go back to that one moment in the game, I don't know if they did enough for them to support that idea. So, um, yeah, it's a big miss, of course, and, and and we can talk forever about, well, things would have changed, confidence for the team and this and that. But listen, right now, I think in the game against Columbus, it happened exactly. We all expected that it would happen. So there was not that big a surprise. So is it a big miss? Is it a big mistake from Robbie? Yes, but he's a young player and he's taking on a lot, a lot, more than he should, honestly. Because I think it's been a while. I asked Phil a few weeks ago about Robbie. He he doesn't look like he's playing with a lot of confidence. And this is just part of it. He's going to make mistakes. But if he's constantly put in this position of, you know, taking on that responsibility that I don't, I don't think he's ready to, you know, he's going to commit mistakes. He's going to make mistakes. And, you know, this is part of the learning process. And I personally wouldn't have mentioned that in the press conference just because I believe that doesn't help for the confidence of Robbie. But, you know, he's a pro now and he should be able to take it. So, 
yeah, I think it's a big mistake, but I don't think that's the reason. And, and he shouldn't be used as an excuse for what happened against Columbus. So I will say that I don't think it's the an excuse. I think there is... I will take Phil's side on this one and say that, look, on a team that's playing this poorly, that needs all the help it can get, I think not scoring that goal on a clear one-on-one opportunity, I do think that demoralizes the team. I do think that that impacts the team from an emotional standpoint or a psychological standpoint because they were competitive in the game up until that point, weren't dominating proceedings, but they were they were making it difficult for Columbus. And then when they have their clear opportunity, a team that can't score, a team that's struggling to score in a major way, to see that happen, I think that does really impact the entire team. Not just the individuals, but the entire the entire team. And the TV analyst, Ray Hudson, who is normally very complimentary of, of the players, even in bad moments, I think he said it best. That is nowhere near good enough for any type of professional player. He needs to get the shot off there. If it goes wide, if it goes over the bar, that's not great because he's one-on-one. But you live with that as opposed to him just not getting any type of shot off. Just And it wasn't like he, he just completely slipped. He just bundled over the ball himself. He, he practically marked himself out of the play. And look, he, he might be dealing with low confidence. That's, that's, that's a, a reasonable and understandable reason. But that ball has to be at least shot, at least shot. Steve, what was your thought on that play? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great, was it? And they but they started well. They had two two good chances, didn't take them to concede and then collapse. That was that was it, really. It's it. You got to take your chances, haven't you? Uh, you know, you've been talking about how much they've sort of been creating, and yeah, it's just fine lines, fine margins, but score and it could have, it could have been different you know you just you just never know but if you don't take your chances don't score goals you're not going to win football match unfortunately was it the worst blunder of the season steve in a season of of many it wasn't great was it let's put it that way he should have scored you know <laughs> he knows that avoiding uh, the question avoiding the question although Jose, you didn't answer the question directly either i, I don't know I, I just i i find it hard to believe that you know a team with experienced players like well again the the one the, the players that we mentioned all over this this podcast you everybody knows who they are that they are gonna the, the confidence of those players will go down because a rookie uh, forward missed an opportunity i, I don't know i don't know uh, it's hard it's hard for me to believe that okay well there's one more thing to touch on in this game and that's that rodolfo pizarro did not play he went unused as a substitute he was Left on the bench. He was in uniform, but he was left on the bench. Phil Neville was asked afterwards why Rolfo did not play, a designated player, one of the, the higher earners, one of the players that on paper has the this most has the most, qual- yeah. has the most quality. Obviously, he hasn't been playing well, but he did not start in a game that Phil Neville has labeled. He has labeled all of these games as of late, really, cup finals. So, because of the situation Inter Miami's in. So, what do you make of that? Phil Neville did say after the game, not to read too much into it, that you know he just wanted to go with, with Indiana Vasilev there in the midfield. And then as the game played out and with the game getting away from Inter-Miami, he just started planning for Wednesday's game. But what do you make of Rodolfo Pizarro not playing? Is there anything to read into that? Or do you just take it as he's just didn't play in this one? Can I go first? On this one? Also, you go first. <laughs> uh, but this is... It's, it's another thing that is hard for me to understand when you have to win 
at least five of your last seven games, according to Phil's own words. Um, listen, I get it that you have to take care of your players, but a player like Rodolfo Pizarro, are you telling me he cannot play three games in a week? So how in the world was he supposed to play uh, at the top leagues in the world? How How is that even possible? And And how do you keep a player like Rodolfo out if you believe he's one of your top players out of the most important games of the year? Well, I don't, think he, thinks, I don't, think, he, I don't think he thinks he's one of his top players, though, does he? Really, that's the problem, isn't it? Oh, well, then. Oh, well, then. So go out and say it or get him out of the team. But he did. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> he did get him out of the team, Jose. He, play, he didn't play him. No, I mean, for good, not just for one game. Well, they're trying. They want him. They want him out for good, if 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 possible. But you know, who's going to buy him? Well, another thing they were not successful at. So, well, uh, I just listen. To me, that's not an excuse. If he's on your roster, he should be playing. It's it, it's not it's not going to be the last time that you know a player from Inter Miami will play three games in one week. That's not going to be the last time. Next year, US Open Cup will be back. Um, another competitions will be back. Leagues Cup, I think, starts next year, right? So more games are coming. So I don't want to hear it that, you know, your top players are not ready to play three games in a week. I mean, I get it. If you're hurt, fine. If you're coming back from an injury, fine. But I don't think that's the case for Pizarro. Whether he's good or not, I think he should play. And he shouldn't be the one player that you get out of the team. Because as of right now... As of right now, he's still a designated player for Inter Miami, and he needs to carry on that responsibility. So that's my take on that one. So before I go to Steve, I did not dislike the decision to uh, to not start Pizarro. I think that that's you know that's one sign or one example of Phil Neville doing what I said he didn't do with Kelvin Leardam and Robbie Robinson, for example, because Rolfo Pizarro has shown over these last few games. And over the course of the season, but we're, you know, let's just t touch on this recent run of form, that he's not performing and he's not doing a good enough job consistently. So if that's not working, if it's not working with him in the midfield, if it's not working with him on the wing, then fully understand and agree with the decision to try something else that maybe will give you results. Now, Indiana Veslov didn't do a great job in that midfield either, so the, the change did not work, but I understand that change. And that's why I have my real questions about Phil Neville putting Kelvin Leardam as a center back repeatedly. And I know he's, he's again, handcuffed and hamstrung with the players he has available right now because of the injuries and the players that are not available. But that's all the more reason why I think that they should move to four at the back. I think it's, you know, just putting Kelvin Leardam as center back after seeing him make mistake after mistake with, with goals that come against. I think instead of trying to force square pegs into round holes, you change the system to suit the player's You have available, same with Robbie Robinson. I don't think he's a number nine because it's not working. It just doesn't work and there's nothing indicating that it will work. But again, Phil Neville in those cases has tried to force the issue and continue to play them in those positions. It hasn't worked. But just to the main point, I think taking Pizarro out is an example of doing what maybe needs to be done to try to address the issues with this team or one of the issues with this team. Steve, what did you think about that decision? Well, yeah, I mean, he just hasn't, Hasn't been a form player, is he really, Pizarro? Only flitted in and out. So, yeah, he's just trying something different. Vasilev has been pretty good, hasn't he, since he since he came? So, uh, yeah, and, and you remember, he also wants to 
get it, have a young sort of younger side. So he's, he favours those to try and put those younger guys in him and Jay Chapman and other guys. So, um, yeah, Pizarro's time is done here, I think, unfortunately. Poor old Pizarro. <laughs> so you're not saying there's a good player in there somewhere? Well, Again, yeah, you're, you're a standard well, line? Somewhere, but we've never really seen it. Not not for consistently, which is a shame. Shame it didn't work out for him, but that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think if in a in a you know one of your last chances to to really make a push, you don't play your DP player from the start. I think that that speaks volumes of what you think of that player. Uh, that's just my interpretation of it. I think that speaks volumes of what Phil Neville thinks of Rodolfo Pizarro. And again, I don't necessarily disagree with or how he might feel about Pizarro because Pizarro. I don't think anyone here on this podcast or pretty much anywhere around the world could say that Pizarro has had a good season. So we'll leave it there. Let's take a quick break because we've talked quite a bit and we'll come back and preview Wednesday night's game against Toronto FC. We'll do that after this. At this point in time, we sit in a place where mathematically it's not impossible still to qualify for the playoffs, but but it's going to be an absolute mountain to climb for us. And uh, I sit here thinking, I sit here now thinking as the manager in terms of... Uh, We've, we've got a lot of uh, big questions uh, and we've got a lot of big decisions to make. Okay, Primo, it's time to preview this week's game on Wednesday night against Toronto FC. Jose Armando has had to leave the building, but we thank him for his time on this week's pod. He'll be back again very soon, probably later this week. And if not, then definitely next week during another busy, busy week of games. Steve. What do you expect from Wednesday night's game against Toronto FC? Toronto FC is uh, one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference, worse than Inter-Miami right now. They just came off a loss. They'll be traveling for this one. Inter-Miami returns home after almost a month away. What kind of game do you expect on Wednesday night? Well, you'd like to think that with both the predicaments of sort of both teams, that they probably can just go and you know have a go at it. Toronto got nothing to play for now. Not going to not not going to qualify for the for the postseason. So. They can have a have a swing, see what see what other youth players or other players they've got maybe in reserve that they can uh, look for for next season. So let's just hope there's a little bit of a you know bit of few goals in it. They have scored you know three at home to Chicago the other week and Cincinnati as well. Um, yeah, Miami obviously won 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 there, didn't they, back in September? So um, yeah, a few goals for Inter Miami I think would would help just sort of. Yeah, like Phil Neville said, discussions about next season, who stays and who goes, even on the fringe players. It's time for people to stand up. So that was it. So I think that they should approach, and I think that they will. Whereas last week on before Saturday's game, I didn't think that they would change into more offensive posture or a different formation. I think that they will this time because they'll be at home. They're practically all but eliminated. And clearly... Playing that five-man defense with the players you have available now has not worked. So I think we will see Inter-Miami switch to a 4-2-3-1 formation. We saw a glimpse of that during the final seven, eight minutes of the match against the Columbus Crew. It was right before the fourth goal happened, the young goal from Leandro González-Pires. And I think obviously that's done to try to get a little bit more into the attack. I have a few more numbers there. Take some take some numbers away from the back. I think we will see that in this game. I think we are going to see Inter-Miami try to take more chances in the attack, which is something I think that they've needed to do for several weeks now, but I think we'll finally see it on Wednesday night. Something that Federico Higuain alluded to a bit in uh, in his post-game remarks on Saturday. Now, I asked him why the team did not, or why the team was struggling so much to score goals this season, and this was his response. It was in Spanish, 
but I've translated it and I will read it here in English. Quote, to score goals, you need to create as many chances as possible. And I am convinced that to generate chances, the team has to play with the ball more. It's easier to defend direct play than build up play in which you try to move the ball from one side to the other to disorganize the opponents and find the right time to inflict damage. End quote. So it doesn't sound to me like Federico Higuain agrees with Phil Neville's tactics up until this point or hasn't agreed with them as of late. And again, I don't think that's the reason why Phil Neville's going to make the change, but I think given the situation that they're going to be a little bit more attack-minded, especially at home, they can't play this boring, dull, bland style of soccer. It hasn't been working, and it's not going to excite any fans here. If you're going to get eliminated from the playoffs, at least do so in an exciting way. Steve, What's the key to the game for Inter Miami? What do they need to do to win this match? Score goals. I think that's the thing. You know, Toronto, like I say, lacking confidence, been letting in goals, scoring a few as well. Take the chances. Take the chances and then and then consolidate. Okay. So for me, obviously, they need to score goals. And I think the key to the game is being in that offensive posture or that more attack-minded formation, which I do think we will see. I think Phil Neville's tactical change there at the end of the Columbus Crew game was a hint towards that. So... I would expect to see the 4-2-3-1 on Wednesday night. And I think that is the key to the game because it will give them a chance to have more numbers in the final third. Now, obviously, the defense has to hold up. We'll see if they do that. But I think at this point, just being a little more offensive-minded will will help balance things out. You can defend without the ball, trying to stay organized, but you can also defend yourself with the ball by creating sequences, keeping possession, etc. Steve, what's your prediction for this week's game? Or this Wednesday's game, because there's another game on the weekend. Interrail returns home yep. after a month away. Long, It's been a long, long road swing. It hasn't been a complete road trip, but it's been a long road swing. Do you think Inter-Miami bounces back and ends this losing streak once and for all and scores some goals to excite the fans, to give them some reason to be excited because they haven't done so as of late? Well, Toronto was smashed 7-1 at DC United back in, uh, back in July. So... Uh... Imagine, you know, something like that, running riot, you know. So uh, there could be a few goals in there. I reckon 3-1. Okay. Inter-Miami wins? Yes. Okay. I think Inter-Miami will get back to winning ways. I think that they will score, I don't know if uggle or goals. I'll say goals. I think they they win this one 2-0 and they finally end this losing streak. It might keep them alive for another game longer in terms of, you know, being mathematically alive for the postseason. So I think they give the fans something to be happy about after a long, long skid. So I think Inter Miami wins 2-0. to zero. Really quickly, do you think we'll see the formation change? And if so, who might we see where? Well, um, I don't know. He's, he's going to he's gonna have to mix it up a bit, isn't he? I would have thought. Um, yeah, you know, could he, could he move away from what, like we were saying, with the five-man defense and do something a bit, a bit different? It's not really in his nature, isn't it, but right now, but... Um, I don't know. What do you think? I think that, like I said, I think they're going to go to the four-man back line. Uh, I think Lewis Morgan, that means Lewis Morgan will be moved up into the wing on the right side. And I think that that's a good move because in those seven, eight minutes against the Columbus crew, you saw him, at least my interpretation, again, from the outside, uh, a more rejuvenated Lewis Morgan, a more energetic Lewis Morgan, someone that was looking to try to make a statement there on the wing. He took one shot that went wide. He just looked a lot livelier. It looked like he had just been injected with a shot of, of confidence and, and energy there during those final few minutes once he moved up into the wing. So I think, you know, we'll see Kelvin Leardam in the lineup. I think he'll be in a more natural position there on the on the right back spot, which, again, 
better plays to his strengths than the center back spot, at least my opinion is that. And, you know, I think you'll see Lendo Gonzalez Pires and, and Christian McCoon in the middle if Nicolas Figal is not ready, which I don't believe he will be. And then, you know, Sammy Gadiri or, or Brexia at the left back spot. And the midfield will probably be the same. It'll probably be Gregory and Blaise Matuidi, although he had a bad game against the. Uh, against the Columbus crew. Not sure if Robbie Robinson starts again or not, but, you know, Gonzalo Higuain will be in the mix, and there are two spots will be up for, for grabs. So let's leave it there, because we still have the Q&A session to get to, and it's a, it's a lengthy one. So let's take a quick break, and we'll get to the Q&A session after this. Okay, Primo, Q&A time. It's a lengthy one. It's a meaty one. There's a lot of questions, a lot of people with a lot of inquiries about the state of Inter-Miami after this this continued losing streak. So let's just jump right into it. Let's not waste any time. And we'll, we'll try to group some of these together because there's a lot of them that, again, a lot of them are regarding Phil Neville. So I'll group these two here and I'll let you answer them, uh, Primo. The first one comes from Holy Holman, which I met on the way to Atlanta on the plane. Shout out to you, Holy. Hope you're well. And the second one comes from Gerald. Holy Holman simply asks, Neville out? Question mark. Gerald asks, if the team keeps playing terrible and continues losing by two plus goals every game, do you think Phil, Phil gets sacked or resigns? No, we spoke about that earlier. Um, what will be this season will be, I think. And look, if it gets off to a terrible start next season or whatever, then yeah, the pressure is going to intensify even more. So, but you know, we, we could get it right. You just never know. We just have to wait and see. But everything has been covered extensively I think if not let us know and we'll go into it again <laughs> so I don't think he's going to get sacked regardless of how the season plays out just don't see it happening I do think he should be let go that's just my personal opinion I don't think we've seen enough but we already talked about that earlier earlier in the pod so next question comes from Joseph E and he says who are those people in the last year of the contracts and do you think they'll stay for next season Steve I know you said that they're Gonzalo Higuain's potentially going to retire any other news with regards to the other DPs or other players on the roster? They're actively trying to get rid of, you know, a lot of players, aren't they, really? Shaw, I think Ryan Shawcross is going to return back to England. Um, so that would free up, a, you know, another spot. Um, and, yeah, I think Gonzalez Perez has sort of been on the market for a while, as has Carranza, just because they're the, the big earners, aren't they? So um, I think there should be a fair bit of movement. And those guys will can get other clubs. Well, I don't know about Carranza, but Gonzalez Perez could probably go anywhere. I would have thought there'd be a bit of interest in him. So, um, yeah, you just have to wait and see. But they're, they're working hard. It's what they have to do. They have to do something, I think. I expect significant change this offseason. And look, this is, I don't know if Joseph E. knows this or does not know this, but just for listeners that may not be completely familiar with how MLS works, there are players that have guaranteed deals that are, you cannot cut them unless you use that one loan buyout option you have per season. But there are other players, and this is the bulk of players on MLS rosters, that have option years. And option years mean that the team can decline the option at the end of the season. So even if you have a four-year contract, if you have an option year, the team can decline that option. And then you are either a free agent or you're designated into one of the other multiple roster or one of those multiple designations. Sorry for the redundancy there. 
multiple designations that uh, that MLS has for certain players at certain points of their careers. So even if players aren't in their last years, certain players can be let go, and I think that you will see plenty of them let go and not have their options picked up this offseason. Next two are, again, very similar, and I know you're going to keep this short and sweet, Steve. So um, one is from Roberto Rivadeneira. He says, just a comment. Phil can say whatever he wants. I don't care anymore. I lost respect for him. Next one comes from Talk Talk Inter Miami CF. Do you think Phil is better than Alonso? This is where I expect you to keep it short and sweet. <sighs> different, different. I mean, you know, they both have been doing okay jobs, you know, in, in difficult circumstances. So it's, uh, it's difficult to compare. They're, difficult, they're different people, aren't they, really? Don't you think? <laughs> well, I mean, Jose Mourinho is different than Sir Alex Ferguson, but I'm sure you could say one is better than the other, right? You could do. Um, Diego Alonso has more experience, I guess. Has sure. more experience. Yes. So that's why that's why I would say Diego Alonso is better because he's more experienced. Sure. Now, that doesn't that's mean cool. that film level throughout his coaching career, if he continues coaching, cannot supersede or outdo what Diego Alonso has done. And that's not oh, the question here. So, you know, I don't I don't know if Phil Neville's trajectory as a coach or his potential as a coach can can pass what Diego Alonso did. I'm just saying today, right now, do I think Phil's better than Diego Alonso? I would say no. Next question comes from Elder Bar. Phil forgets the game is 90 minutes. Only talks on we had a good 10 minutes, etc. We need goals and he packs the defense instead. Can Henderson work with this guy? Can't Federico take over? He verbalized more knowledge of the game in his post-game interview. Just venting. So... Clearly, we're seeing a trend with these questions, a lot of frustration, a lot of displeasure towards Phil Neville and the team, but a lot towards Phil Neville, directed towards Phil Neville, because of the state of how things are right now and the direction things are headed in here in the final weeks of the season, which is understandable. That frustration is understandable. But to answer the question, can Henderson work with Phil Neville? Look, I imagine that Chris Henderson and Phil Neville work together on a daily basis basis but Chris Henderson's job is not to tell Phil Neville how to coach it's not to guide him or formulate his game plans now can Phil Neville bounce soccer ideas or talk to him about certain things with the team and you know have conversations with him sure but Chris Henderson's job is more so to build the roster and fill it with players that Phil Neville would like the type of profiles he would like and obviously do it within the salary budget, and the salary cap. That's Chris Henderson's job. Phil Neville's job is to coach the players, come up with the game plans, run the practices, deal with the day-to-day and the different personalities, etc., etc. So they do work together, but there's obviously a fine line between what they do and don't do. And I imagine neither one of them crosses over that line because they respect that the other one has a job to do. There are examples of coaches in this league that have both titles and that do both jobs, but at Inter Miami, there's a head coach and there's a sporting director. They have separate jobs. They have different functions. Next question comes from Endo. Who's the first one to go and when? The whole coaching staff, five plus players, November, December. So those were all questions. And who's the first one to go? That's a good question. Based on what Steve said earlier on this podcast, and of course, if you're asking why I haven't turned to Steve now, it's because he has left the building as well. He had to run. So he bids farewell, and we thank him for his contributions on this pod as always. So to answer your questions, who goes first? It's a good question. I I would have to do some thinking. Look, Gonzalo Higuain could be a prime candidate because of what Steve said. So maybe him. Maybe he's one that... 
because of the frustration he's experienced and because what Inter Miami projects for the future, what they see for their future plans, maybe he's one of the first. Next question comes from Jeff Rusnick, the longtime soccer writer here in South Florida. He asked which player or players has have improved in year 200 Neville and is the absence of goals due to the tactics or the players. So which players have improved this year? I would say Robbie Robinson has improved, although he's had his still his share of mistakes, including this past weekend's. I think he's improved from where he was last year. I think Christian McCoon is probably the biggest example of someone that's improved from 2020 to 2021. Looks a lot better this season. But I think it's those two might be the only real notable notable ones. Now, as for you know the absence of the goals, I think it's a combination of players and tactics. But I do think that there's more of an emphasis, or there's more responsibility, rather, on Phil Neville because this team should be scoring more goals than it has. It should not be the last place team uh, in terms of goals scored with 25 at this point in the season. They have more talent than that on this on not only yeah not only on paper but they have more talent. They have more quality than that. You know Gonzalo Higuain, Rodolfo Pizarro. You know they haven't performed for all the reasons we've already mentioned. But it's not just them, but the whole team in general should have scored more. No goals on set pieces. Or only one goal on set piece and, and none on, on corner kicks this year, that that goes to the coaching staff as much as any player. So uh, that you know, I do think that Phil Neville bears more of the responsibility on on the lack of goals. Next question comes from Gabe P, and it's a two-tweet question. So looking at every young player in the roster, should we only play them over the players that shouldn't be in the team next year so they can get some game time? I know Ascona, Valencia, and Ian Frey aren't ready. Acosta and Sammy Gadiri haven't played much, but I think they should start all five games. We are getting scored 4-0 to zero almost every time, lol. Why not just have the young players and next year's players have some minutes in the remaining games? Also, he won't be fired, and maybe he shouldn't, but who would come in and take over? I don't see any good options. So, look, I think Inter-Miami, until they're mathematically eliminated, I don't think that they will turn to the young players just yet. I think that they will wait until there's no chance at all to make the playoffs for them to start giving more minutes and giving more playing time to some of the younger players that are probably in the cards for next season and beyond. So, you know, it, it, it was not far off. It's not far off because it would take two miracles to for Inter-Miami to make the playoffs. Not only do they have to win a lot of games and, and change the course of the season, their season and, and their run of form, but other teams would have to drop points and a lot of points. So, I, you know, it's, it's just only a matter of time before the postseason chances are are killed off or, you know, the hopes for the postseasons or the postseason, excuse me, ends. Okay, a few more questions left here. This Q&A is so spicy that my laptop is starting to overheat. You might be able to hear it. The mic is probably going to pick up the sound from the fan trying to cool off the laptop. Anyway, next question comes from Fighting Herons. The question is, the team has conceded four plus goals several times over the last month. After a great start to his time at Inter-Miami, has this tarnished your rating of Marsman going forward? So look, I won't say that it's tarnished, but it definitely hasn't helped. And I think maybe next season we'll get a better idea, assuming that the team will be somewhat more balanced as to what kind of goalkeeper he is. Because we know he's good with his feet, but there are questions as to how good of a shot stopper he is. He is, given some of the goals he's given up, given some of the mistakes he's had. So I'm still high on him from what I've seen, but the jury is still out. The, the sample size is still too small. So no, it's not tarnished, but yes, it's 
been impacted, obviously, by this poor run of form in which so many goals have been given up. He's been at fault for some of them, just like so many other players during this skit. Next question comes from Lloyd Halebron. They repeatedly are letting guys play that are clearly not of professional quality, like Robinson. What is the purpose of having a second team if you don't bring other guys up and try them? Look, the second team is filled, filled with youngsters. And I think they see it more as an academy team, as a youth team, than they do a professional team. I think that's why, and this is not information, this is just my sensation, my supposition from the outside. I think that's why they haven't opened those games up to the public. That's why they don't really, well, they don't really let media access with regards to that team. There's not a whole lot of interviews done with head coach Darren Powell. There's not a lot of interviews done with the players, aside from what they do in-house with, you know, their social channels, Inter-Miami social channels and Fort Lauderdale LCF social channels and Inter-Miami's website. So I think that they see a lot of those players and prospects as longer-term futures. They're, they're, it's more of a team to help build up the young players coming through the academy. So I think that's one of the reasons why you're not seeing some of those players because they're not ready yet. And I also think that they're playing players that they think right now give them the best chance to win games, whether we agree with that or not, I think that's just what their their mindset is at this point. Next question comes from Dale Rosado. What's your prediction on next season starting eleven for the first game? So that's a really good question, and you know I hate to give non answers because I don't like getting non answers when I ask questions. But it's tough to predict because we don't know how many players are going, how many players are coming. You know, there's so many possibilities, so many variables as to who could come and who could leave. I will answer your question, and I hope this suffices, by saying the players that I think are likely to be around from the current crop. And I would say Nick Marsman. I would say Christian McCoon. I would say Kieran Gibbs. And I would say Lewis Morgan. I think those four are good shouts, are good bets to be in the starting lineup next season at the start of next season now that doesn't mean these are the players i would retain or i would keep but this is just my prediction as to who i think is in good standing or in a good place to be on this team next year and that could be in the starting lineup on match day number one in 2022 last question comes from tweeter and he says phil takes responsibility for the performances while also blaming someone else so far we have heard refs pizarro robinson everyone has underperformed that's on the coach and if you wanted to blame someone for individual performances it should be matuidi why does he start so the question's about matuidi i'm not sure why blaze matuidi continues to start in this last game the lack of urgency and awareness he showed defensively on the second goal the one that gonzalo higuain takes a bad touch a bad reception a bad control on a throw in and at least a quick transition the other way and eventually to the to the goal for Columbus, the second goal for Columbus. I Tweedy just doesn't show enough. He's just kind of in, in first gear in terms of how he tracks back and think that's just another example of his defensive frailties at this point in his career. You know, I don't know if he's just it's just a physical thing or it's also a mental thing and he's just not not fully, fully engaged. So why he starts, I'm not sure. I would go with Gregory and Jay Chapman at this point. I think again Going back to earlier points, if things aren't working in certain areas, if certain players aren't performing, I, I'm of the belief that you have to change those players and I'm of, uh, and, and try something else and see if that works. And if it doesn't, then you continue to go until you can find something that works out a little bit better. That's just my my opinion. But that does it for the Q&A session. It was a lengthy, lengthy one. Lot, a lot of questions. We appreciate you guys for staying engaged and involved with us. And, and of course... 
we enjoy the the conversation with you guys, even if it's not direct. Although maybe in 2022 we can we can change up the setup to where you guys can ask questions in a bit more of a live setting. But those are just those are just ideas we have right now. And look, I get a lot of your guys' sentiment. I get a lot of your guys' frustration. I share a lot of the criticisms you guys have with the job that Phil Neville and his coaching staff have done. So you know, completely understand that the tone of this Q&A session was of frustration. But anyway, switching gears, my final thought is this. I will round out the pod with how we started the pod. And that is to say that, look, Phil Neville, I think, is doing the best job that he can. I just don't think that the job he's doing is good enough for what Inter Miami wants to be. And I don't see enough signs that say that he can take them to where they want to get to. Now, maybe at a different team or a different club, I don't know if an MLS or around the world, where they see a longer-term project, where they express different desires, maybe he'd be a better fit there. But with, at Inter Miami, in my opinion, he's not a good fit because the team is very ambitious and wants to be one of the contenders in this league. And that's why I measure them to that because this is a club, this is an organization that does not want to be mediocre. This is a club that says it wants to be one of the best in MLS and one of the best in the world, and they say that repeatedly. That's not something that every club in MLS says. Actually, I don't. I think they might be the only club that says that in MLS. They want to be the the best team in this in this side of the hemisphere or in this hemisphere, excuse me. So that's why I think that if they want to be as elite as they claim they want to be, then I don't think Phil Neville's the guy for that. Obviously, they need to right a lot of other wrongs and fix a lot of other things in order to get anywhere near close to that. But I think coaching, that's one element of it. And I don't think Phil Neville is the guy that will turn this ship around in a major, major way. But that does it for this week's pod. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Thank you guys again for the very active and engaging Q&A session. You guys hit us with a lot of questions this week, which we appreciate. So I'm signing off for now for Jose Armando and Steve Brenner. I am Franco Panizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. Talk to you guys again later this week.